welcome in to another episode of the Q Crew here on the Tell Me More podcast. I'm your host, Mac Moore. We are back with Ethan Ravy and Nick Adams. How's it going, guys? Going well. Good, going, good to be back. Going, going, going. I'm glad Ethan's decided to respond because he's hitting just the peace side on what is also, this isn't just on YouTube. This is also going to be uh, as a SoundCloud podcast. So I need you to make sure that you, Nick did a, actual thumbs up on using the zoom tool is that what's happening it's it's like a yeah it's yeah it's a little reaction button i've what never seen away? anybody use those oh yeah okay yeah and then yeah and then you can applaud too so you can tell he's a teacher because of his advanced knowledge he doesn't know how to get the sound to work on zoom but he's no. got the emoticons down pat got the background that keeps blurring around the edges of his frame but doesn't know how to get the sound working. That's great. Uh, we are here to talk about season two of What We Do in the Shadows. This is one I actually had to be convinced to watch. This was on Nick's short list of uh, shows that he definitely wanted to talk about. And I, I wasn't sure because I'm not a big fan of the, the movie. I tried to watch it a couple times and just never really got into it, have not finished it. And so I assumed with... Uh, that style, uh, I, I see its value, but wasn't going to take the time necessarily. And even when I started watching the show, I kind of felt similar about it. And then slowly but surely, they hooked me. And I'm glad I, I stuck with it because I had a good time. And that season two finished up this week. So we're on here to talk about it. We're really going to talk about the whole show since uh, we, we haven't actually talked about season one. And a lot of stuff. It was good enough that I, I do believe by whatever time this finishes season three next year, we'll be back to talk about it again. That's how good the show was. Just starting out, Nick, since you're the one who gave the recommendation, you had the Q crew put onto this as a as some homework assignment. What drew you into this show and what what really stands out about? Why is this a worthy of this a famed podcast, the, the Q crew? Well, I didn't really know anything at first uh, other than some recommendations from friends and uh, I hadn't even seen the movie at all when I started the show and I latched on immediately to a character that I'm sure a lot of people would say is a high point of the show is the Colin Robinson character uh, and for people who aren't familiar with the show uh, there are the more traditional vampires but he's what they call an energy vampire and he ends up being um, a very, I think, good summary of the most boring Americana that exists out there. Uh, if there's a, you know, there's an Instagram account called Middle Class Fancy. And I think of, you know, a lot of overlap between what is so boring that then it circles back around to be entertaining. And that's something that the show uh, in those moments really nails very uniquely. And uh, I wanted to kind of draw attention to it. All right, Ethan, similar question. I know you were watching this show before uh, we had it uh, put into the queue for this podcast. What drew you to the show? Uh, kind of the opposite of you, the movie. Uh, I've <laughs> always uh, really enjoyed the the feature film, What We Do in the Shadows. Uh, and then I've had just countless people recommend it to me. Uh, and it's also something that I knew I would like. Um, just had to make the time for it. And I started watching it maybe like three days before we did the uh, Dave episode. Um, 
and then I heard it was recommended and I, you know, I, I talked to you about it, Mac, and you, I had, you, like you said, you were even kind of on the fence, like starting out a few episodes in and like three days later, you're texting me about Jackie Daytona. <laughs> uh, so, um, I think that, I pretty you know, yeah, it's an easy, easy show to burn through. Um, and it's also, uh, really helped, helped me identify energy vampires in the real world. Um, there's a lot more of them than you think. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm exhausted. Yeah, and uh, I think I, I subsequently went back and watched the movie, and mm. find the you know compare and contrast between the movie, which is uh, New Zealand, you know, a New Zealand production, compared to then this American TV show. Some of the same you know creators, but it certainly changed just as much as The Office from British to American. And so I think it ends up saying a lot about our TV when you start looking at the comparison of international works and how they become Americanized and what does that mean? All right. Well, cool. We made it about three minutes into this episode before making an office comparison. So that was uh, a lot faster than I thought that was going to happen. At least he's talking about the framework and not just saying every (laughs) documentary has the same feel as the office. We'll get to cousin Jeff. I might just call him on for a, 20 minute battle royale after this and just tack it on to the end of the pod we'll see what happens cousin jeff quick shout out to cousin jeff (laughs) fuck you cousin jeff that's my shout out but uh you you said it tells us a lot about uh american tv comparing them what what does it tell you nick uh all right so let's think the movie is mostly about all these guys it's young uh young guys that all the actors uh who they end up recruiting our other young guys, they have like a rivalry with the werewolves, other young guys. It becomes very entourage. It's a group of friends. Um, whereas the uh, characters in the American TV show are a lot more uh, distinct just in their personalities and in their physical mannerisms or characteristics. And by being more distinct, it becomes less about a group of friends and more about a family. And so instead of entourage it's more like, the Adams family, frankly. That's solid. Ethan, is that how you felt? You felt the, uh, the uh, less entourage, more family? I mean, I prefer the Munsters, but yeah, like the same <laughs> basic concepts. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, that's actually, I hadn't really thought of it that way, but I, I agree with Nick on that. Um, and, you know, also just having more, you know, with the movie, it is they have to kind of hit all of these different bullet points within that st- the story they tell. Whereas the show, every episode is like a new scenario of basically what if these characters go into this situation, like imagining them at a Super Bowl party or imagining, mm-hmm. um, you know, just, just these different situations that they find themselves in. So I think it has a lot more freedom to it uh, to be able to build that relationship and build those characters like the character building in the show is so good and uh it it kind of is another one of those shows like uh, i think when we talked briefly um last time we, we were talking about different shows that we're interested in i know we talked about letter kenny as a possibility and one of my things that i'll always say about letter kenny is the character development so good because there's not a single bad character on that show um and that's kind of how i feel about uh, what we do in the shadows. All right. Yeah. I, I, I think these shows when they have a clear premise and this is where I will give uh 
cousin Jeff the most tiny bit of credit. When you watch something that has that same framework and you're in a mockumentary style, there's certain tropes you're going to hit. There is kind of this idea that once you've seen vampires in a ridiculous situation, where do you go from there? Once you kind of have whatever that premise is where it's the office with vampires, it's, you know, like you, you just kind of add in different details and think, okay, what are the funny things? It can run out of steam pretty quickly. This was a show that I felt like it picked up uh, in the middle of the first season as it started to kind of uh, get these characters to grow a little bit. And then even once you're done with season one, then you're like, okay, how many seasons could I watch something like this? And I didn't feel like it lost steam in season two. Uh, I think particularly with uh, the character of Guillermo as the, the familiar for these vampires and his jump from the end of season one to figuring out he has the lineage of a, of a vampire hunter. And then we're back to that family idea. It's like, okay, this should be a face-off with those three characters. And instead, his ability to kill vampires is used to protect this family that he has gained. And that definitely was something that I wasn't sure if it was going to work, even as I saw it developing at the end of season one. And without a doubt, I think they hit a home run. I think it was an amazing work telling that story through the second season. And while he's kind of going off on his own adventure to learn himself and figure out what is he going to do with this newfound, uh, you know, goal or newfound ability, whatever it is, he's off on his own story. It's like, well, these other three characters, what are they going to do? without him that they haven't already done in season one and somehow maybe it is just Colin Robinson being the glue that keeps it together but it's amazing to watch that still develop I would have thought this would have been definitely just like a one note show like okay that's really funny but I'm not going to invest in a show about vampires and it's amazing how good comedy uh you put in a, a lot of smart people making these shows they find a way to get me invested in some of the dumbest fucking things on the planet. I don't know how much that says about me versus the talent of these writers, actors, performers, but I thought it was amazing that they pulled that off. And by the end of season two, I definitely am excited for what will happen in season three. Well, uh, I think something that was interesting to me to see with the familiar character, the Guillermo character, who's, uh, assisting the vampires so he's human for anybody who's not familiar and he's just being a <laughs> lackey essentially he's just an assistant uh, and that character type existed in the movie as well if familiar and in the movie again in New Zealand uh, she had been doing the job for four and a half years and was completely over it and just burnt and was like when are you going to turn me into a vampire when do I get my reward I've been paying my dues for four years in the American version they've upped it to 11 years and so i was thinking about do americans maybe we think four years isn't a ridiculous amount of time to be paying your dues but 11 years is and as and then so i was thinking about if there's something to that um as a difference or something unique it is interesting because we are definitely in this generation where in terms of uh, how long uh, millennials uh, like ourselves stick with jobs, we're mm -hmm. definitely starting to get more into the idea that to get paid, you need to jump to a new job after a couple of years. There's kind of uh, a lot of ceilings in most of the jobs that we have, and that's really the only way to, to move up anymore because there's very uh, stagnation in many levels of the workforce. Uh, but the idea that it used to be was, you 
work till you're 60 at one job. And so that 11 years sounds more like somebody who is like, am I going to be in it for the long haul? Am I going to make it to retirement at this job? And that's something that's kind of breaking down. I don't know if this show is reinforcing the old like idea or is trying to tell us why it's a bad idea. I I, I think you're closer. I have a point point here. I have a point here. I'm going to say shot in the dark. I've never been to New Zealand. I'm just going to say maybe the New Zealand labor force is treated better than the American labor force to where (laughs) four years is kind of a bummer. Uh, In America, four years is like, shut the fuck up and do your job. Um, Not that I support that. I, I, I wish I was a New Zealander, especially right now. Uh, (laughs) This is the best time to be a New Zealander. So, um, you know, I'm I'm very happy for the uh, Dakota Kai's of the world. It always goes back to wrestling. Great. Everything in life is a more or less sophisticated form of professional wrestling, including what we do in the shadows. See how I drew back. All right, Nick, what were you going to say on the, the idea of how Americans view time spent on the job and, and the difference between four years in of, of a garbage job versus 11 years? I think you, I don't think it was enforcing the idea. We're not supposed to like that Guillermo has been working it for 11 years. I think it's more of um, like a tragic story. Because the character is something like maybe 30 or something like that, having done this job. It's been his only job. And, uh, and I think we're definitely supposed to feel bad about that and fear it in our own lives. Also, not his only job. He did work at Panera Bread. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't saying it was, a, it was positive for Guillermo. I'm saying that instead of going four years, you kind of get the idea that it's like, okay, if you're 11 years in and you haven't, uh, you know, got the the fruits of your labor, then you can be upset. But after Mm. four years in American society, maybe you're being whiny about it, which I feel like we're starting to get to the point where that idea is hopefully kind of being pushed away because it is a very toxic idea. So I'm wondering if when they pick 11 years, if that is still kind of keeping us, okay, how long does he need to be on this job before we can actually like sympathize with him? In my mind, if you did the four years, even in American TV, I would not think that the, I, I think four years is too damn long to be in a job that you hate. So uh, I'm hoping that uh, we start getting to where we don't need to uh, lengthen those time frames as a, a way to keep kind of the, the status quo of how we uh, imagine the workforce in America. But uh, I'm a crazy person. Who knows? Uh, it was interesting. You said the middle class fancy Instagram uh, is a way to connect it to Ethan, maybe make uh, you two friends here. So the first uh, meme that I found on here uh, says, uh, my wife, uh, the neighbors just called. Did you get too drunk at the cookout and steal a vase from their house? And is it, no, that's ridiculous. And it's me at the cookout and it's Paul Bear it's Paul holding the yeah. urn. And that's so good. It's so good. It, so everything uh, is wrestling. I did see that today. I do follow middle class fancy. And once again, everything is wrestling. Yeah, that's a fact. So with, uh, let's try to focus in on season two. Let's try to look at some of the things that we enjoyed. Cause we've talked about a few of the characters we like. Uh, you mentioned the energy vampire. And I did think there was one thing that like, you know, if you watch a show and maybe it's to fill time and to, to fit, to just laugh a little bit. But also, I like to take things away that, like, help me uh, understand the world better. And the episode where Colin Robinson becomes an online troll 
is the only thing that's gotten close to getting me to understand the mind of a troll. Like that sort of, I just write them off. Like, and it's hard because it's hard to see who is a real person who just has dumb opinions that I don't like. And who is somebody who literally are just trying to cause uh, that reaction out of you. And the only thing that does make sense is these people doing it as a way to be an energy vampire. They feel better by ruining your day. And I just love how he's like, as soon as they call you an asshole, you know you've won. And then when he reciprocates and says it, and he's like, oh, no. And it's just like that feeling. <laughs> I've never connected with anything more in a, in a show I've watched recently. That, that feeling. And that, I think that episode was just really good. And it showed what this show can do when it does focus on the other characters. Instead of keeping yeah. the ensemble the whole time, when they did have those character-specific episodes, uh, it worked. You you think Colin Robinson could be somebody who is just a bit role. He only works because he's there to antagonize the main characters at these specific points in the story. But no, he commanded whole episodes, and those were some of the best episodes of the series. Oh, his prom- his promotion episode. To oh me my god! Was- yeah. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. My my brother has been uh, working through. He's probably close to done now. Uh, and he, uh, I was at work uh, a couple days ago, and he sent me. Uh, just like a video, just him recording it from his TV. He's like, I literally had to pause because I'm on the floor fucking dying. And it's when Colin Robinson's in the bathroom. It's like, I feel like I've got the force of a hundred cowboys flowing through me. He's like, ah, ah, and he crushes the trash can. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, hey, Mike, uh, Dave and Jim were sitting on that, I think. I don't know. And then he leaves. And it's just, it's, uh, I love because you you do get to see that like ultimate spectrum of Colin Robinson in like, five seconds <laughs> like oh, of him, yeah. of him yeah. just really thriving on his power and then also just him being colin robinson and again i do think it is something uh maybe uniquely american about like this middle management type guy who's like boring everybody but as soon as he gets more power it's a it's so insufferable that he's just yeah. devastating the office which is, <laughs> the, to the point where the entire office shuts down <laughs> yeah and so and i think that's a sub i think maybe that's more universal than just america if you think of like uh, wrong person getting too much power is yeah. classic it's hmm. um, poignant another you know I, oh, go ahead. oh i was uh, i didn't know if we were gonna stay on uh colin robinson here but if we're going you know, individual character-based episodes. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna demand that we speak about Jackie Daytona. I was gonna do honestly. We should have done the whole. We should have done a whole episode on Jackie sure. Daytona. I, I'm gonna write an entire essay on it, and hopefully get a. I'll read it at some sort of slam poetry meeting once uh, the society opens back up someday. Uh, but yeah, no, I could, I could go all day talking about Jackie Daytona. Man. Tell me, you, you, you. The first thing you told me before I knew anything about the show was you're going to dress up as Jackie Daytona for Halloween. So tell me what about this character just sucked you in? Um, so uh, before I do that, I'm going to expand that. I'm not going to dress up as Jackie Daytona for Halloween. I'm going to dress up and become Jackie Daytona for the rest of my life because huh. that guy knows how to live. Um, <laughs> I think that it's just such a great, uh, like, like Laszlo's take on what like a middle-class like small town American is um, while literally not disguising himself at all, but people fall for it. Um, the, the, the concept Do of they fall G- for it? jeans, uh, Jim, the vampire falls for it. 
So, but yeah, it's uh, another vampire who is also very bad at disguising himself. I feel like the, the, the thing that they find out is they think they need to disguise themselves. They're vampires hiding at home. They, right. they, they can't go and be a part of society. And you find out America is weird enough that if you just walk outside, people are like, I, it's weird, but yeah. do you, man, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So he fits he, in at this bar, and as long as he's nice to them, like, they're yeah. happy with him, but it, like, none of them think he's not a weirdo. Right. And I mean, it's really only one person like uh, like Lucy calls him out on like having like a European accent, but doesn't really <laughs> seem to phase her. Um, and he's from Tucson, Arizona. And uh, just I love. So when I first started watching, too, is like uh, the whole volleyball angle. I'm like, oh, he's like using magic to help them win. It's like, no, he's really just that supportive. He's just that <laughs> supportive of volleyball and the town and that it's like makes the town a better place even though uh you know he's killing people <laughs> so um I don't, and just the the fact that he becomes jackie daytona it's kind of a uh you know that that when you play a character long enough you become that character rick flair everything is wrestling uh, is a good <laughs> example and uh it's just like he'd almost rather be jackie daytona than go back to being laszlo even though he knows he has you know his family that we've you know covered but um and also uh just that episode the 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 character by mark hamill um i did not recognize him at all uh i'm kind of embarrassed by that that i had to wait for the credits to tell me that <laughs> no. um but god damn it he is so good in that episode <laughs> and and that he he just builds the jackie daytona character to be even better yeah. I feel like I, I texted you with the Mark Hamill thing and I, I forget exactly what I said, but basically every time I see Mark Hamill in a role, I stop for a second and I'm like, I feel like I know who that is. And it's like, it usually takes about 10 seconds. I'm like, why is Luke Skywalker in this? Like, it just takes me a minute, but there's definitely, he, he submerges himself well enough, but there's always that hint of Mark Hamill that won't disappear. No matter what he's dressed up as, no matter what he's doing, it just takes me a minute and I'm like, God damn, is that Mark Hamill? What is happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's just got a look that, you know, stands out and catches uh, people's it both, eyes. It both stands out, but it also blends in. Like, he could yeah. be any other bit actor that, like, is good. Like, you notice he's good, but you're not sure who he is. You're like, oh, he's that's got to be just, you know, some guy that, you know, a, a film snob is going to rattle off their name and it'll be like, why would I know who that is? Uh, but like, he's Mark Hamill, so you have to know who Mark Hamill is. So like, he he can fit into those roles. He just has that thing where he blends so well, but there's just that little bit of Mark Hamill you see and you you, you recognize it. Except for Ethan, who waits till the credits. But I feel like everybody else in America, they figure it out eventually. Everyone else in America might be a stretch too far. There's no way that I was the only person that like needed help identifying mark hamill but uh yeah if you want to dwell on it then you know fine that's 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 up to you man all right you're not being as cool as jackie daytona right now i think you keep <laughs> talking about jeans. living that life i don't have jeans or a toothpick and that's where yeah, I yeah you're missing start. a toothpick yeah. it's it's that's what brings it together it's it makes you feel like jackie daytona um so why can't laszlo just go back still be with his family but take on some of the the persona of being jackie daytona why can't he just keep the jeans and the toothpick and just still be back at the house with all the people he knows? 
Well, they would wonder who this person is that's at their house. That's mm-hmm. fine. He just has to live that life. So now he doesn't have to be Laszlo. He's not tethered down at all. And he still gets the, the benefits of what he felt like he was missing and the benefits of being this much better person that is Jackie Daytona. I don't know what the high school volleyball scene is like in Staten Island, though. So I don't know if you could really. Uh... Well, so that brings me because uh, because th- he left Stat- Staten-, Staten Island to do so. Yeah. Um, but something that makes that really specific uh, is st- that it's Staten Island. And I was really hoping that we could, you know, get into the value of setting the show there. Whereas uh, in the movie, I don't know anything about Wellington, New mm-hmm. Zealand. Um, maybe that speaks to my own international ignorance that I can't tell you anything. I'm or not going to blame that Island. on you because I'm right I, there I, with yeah, you. Yeah, I, I don't think you're expected to know a lot about Wellington, New Zealand. All right, but Staten Island, going back to like the first season, some of the first episodes, it's, it's like it is mocked. It is, you know, mm-hmm. the uh, trash city next to New York, like proper. I mean, I don't think a, that's just in the show. I think that's just Staten Island. It's an accurate description. I mean, you could <laughs> yeah. see the garbage dump from space. I mean, <laughs> well, I'm saying I'm saying that the show that gets it's a really it's really good that the show set you know um, yeah. set it there. And I think even if even again if people haven't been to Staten Island, we all know uh, trash cities next to mm-hmm. where we actually live. Right, and and with that too, it's uh, it helps you know, identify the vampire characters, like lack of knowledge of, you know, class in the United States um, in the sense that they're supposed to conquer the United States and they conquer a few streets in Staten Island. Mm. I mean, they started <laughs> and, pretty early though. I mean, they just kind of pick yeah. one spot and stay. That's, that's more about laziness than about what their class. Cause you can't just uh, back. W- w- they were supposed to got there. What in like 1500s? Yeah. They, yeah. It's more like luck. Cause they're saying that the yeah. uh, originally it was between Manhattan and Staten and they were basically right. the same. And so then you True. get into a yeah. whole bunch of other questions of why is it? that some cities take off and some areas do and some don't, you know, I think of, I grew up in Manhattan, Kansas. And, you know, we, we, you know, really looked down on junction city (laughs) for no real good reason. It was just, everybody needs that city though. Even like Staten Island probably has some place they've picked out that they think is the shitty place. (laughs) I I grew up in Olathe, I grew up in Olathe, Kansas, and it's like, fuck Gardner, Kansas. <laughs> like, that's for no reason. Just fuck them. It's, it's the shittiest nearby city. There's a good reason. I mean, it's Gardner, Edgerton, and, like, they don't even know if they should have the hyphen or not. Like, yeah, fuck them. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, so I, I, I worked at the newspaper where we, when we have, like, the sports scores come in, mm. and, like, literally – the city, I think, has the hyphen, but the high school doesn't. So it's like Gardner Edgerton with the hyphen in between, but the high school is just Gardner Edgerton space in between, and it pisses wow. me off so much because they that, that don't care which one it is. Pick one. Are they just referring to the region of Gardner Edgerton because it's two different cities, and it's just like these cities suck so bad. I'm not going to even 
treat them like they're individuals. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing is uh, Perry LeCompton uh, does that. There are these smaller that's cities that when they put the high schools together to get enough of a class size, which is fine. And I don't care what the reference has to be. Shawnee Mission uh, High Schools is another weird one because Shawnee and Mission are actually two different cities. But it's True. like when you put them together, you have to pick. You have to get on the same page. You can't have like the different government bodies decided it's yeah. one way. And then the high school's like, I don't know if we can pay for the hyphen. Like, or, it just, yeah. nobody's going to come and put it up on the building, and I can't do it. I can't. It, it's also, like, the people that live there, like, fucking Gardner Edgerton, same fucking thing. It just, like, just it's one thing. Just count it. It's yeah. one. And uh, they're like, who fucking cares? Guess what, motherfuckers? The Q crew fucking cares. All right? <laughs> fucking Gardner and or Edgerton should be a backslash, if you ask me. Hey, like I said, I don't even have a strong position on which one it should be. Just pick I one. didn't until about one. 45 seconds ago, but now I'm hot. I'm a hot little potato right now. All right. So, yeah, it, it is. Staten Island is also interesting because uh, if uh, the, the people watching don't know, we are planning on having the Q crew do a King of Staten Island podcast next week. And I think it's weird that we're at this juncture uh, in in time where Staten Island is coming up more often in pop culture than I think it ever did, because <laughs> I I'm trying to think like I don't have a reference from when I'm younger. Like I have references of Manhattan, of Brooklyn, of this and that, and maybe it is that kind of uh, superiority where everybody looks down on Staten Island that made it where it wasn't a reference that came up enough for me to know about before. Now but I feel like in the last few years, a lot of Staten Island bashing happening. The Queen of Staten Island, Carmela, everything's wrestling. Yeah, sure. Uh, my point being, it's become the kind of this hot topic. Yeah, uh, Staten Island is a hot topic, <laughs> and we're talking about a show that looks like that it's a hot topic. Actually, this all comes around. Hang on. If I look at this, uh, yeah, that's on my 2020 bingo card. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, first mark. But I think it speaks to uh, maybe just that there's is more culture or more pop culture or just more media to take in. Cause I wouldn't say it's limited to Staten Island. I think there's a lot of places that we have these impressions of uh, that we've never been to maybe, you know, um, Port- Portland, you know, I've never been to Portland, but Portlandia I hope is relatively accurate. Yeah, the hit new show, Portlandia. Well, and, yeah, I, again, so maybe it's a great years. point because I don't think before Portlandia came on did I have uh, the idea in my head of Portland. I had, uh, I, I'm trying to think, you know, you have Seattle and then anything that is in the Northwest is just Seattle. Like, right. there's just no room for me to have multiple, uh, you know, ideas about the cities in this area until a show comes on and kind of cr- crafts this kind of culture that they can show me in sketch form that I can easily understand and, without it, I would have just not cared what Portland was like and had no and, idea other than lumping it in with Seattle. And I think that, that I mean, the point of it being that it is media driven is, is, is a good point because it's always been there, but like having shows that really do focus on their region and setting, uh, you know, it's always sunny in Philadelphia yeah. um, being a, a great example of like, this is what people from Philadelphia feel about Philadelphia. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I don't know if that's, if it's happening at a higher frequency, but like, if I think of all the shows that I've really gotten into over the last few years, um, you know, they really do have a high level of focus on the, uh, the city they take place in. So like, uh, uh, 
Silicon Valley or um, Insecure or uh, even Dave has like a really good like focus on Los Angeles or Hollywood sure. and uh, New York and Hollywood have always been like or right. Los Angeles have always of course been overrepresented but at the same time there's a slew of 90s sitcoms that were set like in non New York or LA yeah I mean, like, uh, Family Matters uh, is a good represent. I mean, the Chicago skyline is the first thing you see in their opening credits. Same with... But what about the show ever painted how people thought about Chicago? I think that might be the biggest difference is there was a lot of shows that, you know, okay, the the go-to for L.A. is because they're filming in L.A. New York, obviously, being uh, one of the biggest metropolitan cities in the world, you're going to have shows that focus on that and kind of how that city is built. Uh, But once you you know, get past the last couple decades of shows that have turned cities into characters in the show. You just kind of have a lot of like, here's where we say it's at, but they didn't do anything to tell like family matters. doesn't tell me about Chicago. None of like full house. Doesn't tell me about San Francisco. Like they (laughs) didn't do anything other than have the intro show me where they're at. And then they're at a house that could be fucking anywhere. (laughs) Um, I mean, you could say shows like maybe a show like Roseanne does a good job of showing you what like middle America, like bumfuck bump Illinois. And that's the thing is um, it can be any place. It, 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 it captures a culture, but it doesn't necessarily capture a specific town because I don't know where the hell Ra- Roseanne was supposed to be. I remember Home Improvement was Detroit. Yeah. But, yeah. I and that was just so. for the car references. Like... I still didn't walk away from Home Improvement knowing much about Detroit. I just knew that Tim Allen would go vroom, vroom, and hurt himself. I, think, I feel like they just like couldn't get Tim Allen to stop wearing like Michigan-based sweaters, and they're like, "Well, we got to set this fucking show in Detroit. It's all we mm-hmm. can do." He won't stop. It's in his contract. I don't know how it got in there, but it's in his fucking contract. Yeah. So that's um, so I. I do you think that's that a good be- point? You think that's like just the focus of the creators wanting to do that? Because obviously you have with, uh, you know, Always Sunny was one that was just going to be Always Sunny in L.A. or whatever they had actually named Mm -hmm. it. But it was going to be them being actors out in L.A. And then eventually they took uh, Rob McElhaney's uh, Philadelphia roots. And he was like, okay, let's apply what I know about my upbringing to this show. And they've it was a huge factor in the stories that they would tell. But before that, there it was just kind of pencil it in. Okay, we're shooting this here. And then that wasn't kind of the focus of the creators. So is it just these new creators, This, uh, especially in this era of Netflix, where we have so many, uh, I don't know if it's more shows, a lot, of, a lot of pilots that they used to make and just never made a TV. Definitely a lot more outlets to create shows. And these outlets have given these creators more power into making the show their own and they choose to represent things that they know. They choose to make these cities characters where before that was never the focus of any of the people who were producing television shows. Well, well, again, I th- then it might speak more to the production capabilities. And so, yeah, when Drew Carey set, what's it called? The Drew Carey show or whatever in Cleveland. Uh-huh. <laughs> what is it called? The best show of the 90s. Just, what is it called? Talk about well, The Price is Right. No, yes. his, yeah, his sitcom. And I remember that one was set in Cleveland. And I think it's like, oh, instead of doing like a, the multi-cam sitcom setup, now more shows have like the ability to go and literally film 
something in Cleveland or literally film something. That uh, That's a good point too is, you know, pretty much every sitcom in the nineties is very like very much on a, the soundstage. Whereas I think, I think just the concept of shooting on location has probably definitely gone up. Um, and not even, I don't know if it's that they weren't capable of doing it before or that it wasn't popular or if it was just cost effective, but um, I think there are more shows that actually have some, even if it's not entirely uh, accurate to the city it's taking place in and it's shot, you know, in some, you know, region of LA that looks similar to a region of Philadelphia or whatever. Like it's still the, the, on location shooting versus sound stages. That's fair. Nick, you're a writer. We'll, we'll try to wrap this up and talk about other parts of uh, what we do in the shadows. But first I want to know if you had your pick, you were making a TV show. Uh, are you going to do the same thing where you pick your roots and find a way to, to showcase that in a TV show? Are you making a TV show about the little apple? Uh, I have been kicking around a movie idea. Yeah. About, <laughs> yeah, about Christmas in Manhattan. <laughs> And it would just be disappointing people because it'd be Manhattan, Kansas. It's a beautiful um, idea. I love it. And so I don't know if I can do a whole, you know, Hallmark type Christmas movie. That's a troll move, you know? I mean, I feel like Lifetime does it all the time and the people just don't notice that it's a joke and they keep watching the whole movie. It's crazy. Uh, so, so that would be one example. And yeah, and talking about the very specific uh, things that I know about Manhattan, Kansas, like, you know, shit in on Junction City, junk town, for whatever reason. That's pretty good. Um, yeah. Hi, Ethan Raby, also a writer. Mac, uh, fuck you. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you only work with puppets. Bullshit. Ooh, puppets. <laughs> I do work with puppets. Well, that cool. maybe we'll maybe we'll do a felt show episode sometime. Um, but uh, I I do, and again, going back to Letter Kenny, uh is another show that is that based on, you know, it's based on uh, Listowel, I think is the town that uh, is actually Letterkenny is based on. Um, and, you know, I think that the only reason I don't have the concept of doing a show based on my hometown is that I'm from Olathe, Kansas. Um, so Pretty show out of that. I guess it'd be very like, it would be like a, like a low rent version of weeds. I think that's about what I could maybe uh, compare it to, um, but who knows? Maybe uh, maybe maybe O Town does need some representation. <laughs> it doesn't need it, but just saying, if you, if you come up with something good, don't rule out uh, your roots. I think that can uh, add add some impact to your writing. Stay mm. true, and that's that's uh, probably the the interesting part about this show is you know we we're coming off of watching Dave, where you have this uh, sort of blending of uh, somebody's real life into the character that they're going to play on the show. Next week, we're going to end up doing one on King of Staten Island, where it is the retelling of Pete Davidson's story. And we're this week talking about a show that is out of reality. It is about the undead and still finding a way to humanize these uh, monsters of the night, I think is... It, it's interesting that this show works on the, the, the levels that it does and that some of the, the characters, uh, whether it be Jackie Daytona, whether it's Colin Robinson, 
they find a way to uh, to connect with how we feel. And maybe one of the best ones, we're going to talk about it as we start going down the list of the different characters and, and what we think of them. Guillermo being somebody that we already mentioned earlier, kind of the time he spends uh, in the service of these vampires being something that, you know, we can look at in our own lives and the time we commit to the companies that we work for. But also just having uh, a, a character that, uh, you know, is, is hoping for a reward for what he's doing. He's expecting it. He's been uh, promised it. And at the end of the day, even when he doesn't get it, he keeps doing the work, expecting it to still happen. And that's something that is this tragic character that it's hard not to connect with, at least for me. Maybe my life is just more tragic than your guys. How did you guys feel about Guillermo and uh, especially his arc as he found his purpose in season two? Um, I, uh, I really appreciate the and it's it's something you see in stories and storylines all the time is loyalty not being appreciated because i think that's one of the one of the things that is a very relatable uh human reaction is like a lack of a lack of appreciation people not feeling appreciated is it's probably one of the most common like downers that you can that you can feel um and I think that Guillermo represents that perfectly and his own loyalty is what just feeds into that and almost makes it worse. And I think at a certain point, most people have had some kind of instance of that, whether it's uh, work-related or if it's like personal. But uh, he's Guillermo is a very relatable character. Um, and... Sub it's... Go ahead, go ahead. To build off that, that it's relatable and that he's gone through these problems. In season two, I think he much he gets uh, more of his expertise. He gets to have some power. He gets some more agency. He starts to do badass things. Uh, and, he start, and we start to see him be successful in a way that's mm -hmm. really rewarding because of like, that characterization, especially in the first season, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I agree with that. I also think with uh, Guillermo, just uh, kind of having the the people that can give him what he wants be these kind of old, antiquated personalities that don't value what he's doing will always kind of look at him as somebody who uh, isn't on their level because they've put in all this time. They have all this knowledge from their years of being undead, centuries of it. And what does his 11 years mean? I mean, you, uh, you basically have uh, Nandor thinks it is like three years. I forget what he says when they're supposed to be the anniversary and he just guesses <laughs> really low. And it, it, it's definitely uh, easy to make kind of an analogy between what he's doing with uh, working for these vampires and working for any job where you kind of have middle-aged people that think that uh, the young people complaining, why are you complaining? I've been doing this for 40 years. Like you, you've not put any time into this. Uh, but the only way that Guillermo got any satisfaction out of this, the only way he got the ball moving forward for himself is to fight those antiquated ideas, to change uh, where he's at and not just accept the role that was made for him by these people who only have one idea how this should be done. And I think you could take a lot away from that in terms of how we see a lot of the younger generation trying to change 
the status quo. Maybe I'm trying to make something bigger out of it than it is, but I do think there that's part of what I see in Guillermo that connects me even more than just kind of the doofiness early on that ends up becoming, okay, how does this guy become an actual vampire killer? It's always magic. It's just snap of the fingers. It's genetic. It's not from the hard work. The 11 years he put in didn't get him better at being a vampire killer. He didn't learn these things that he uses to his advantage to get the upper hand on vampires. It's just, he figures out that he has, uh, he was born for this. And then all of a sudden he's amazing at it. Uh, that goes back to what we were talking about with uh, Dave last week, having this kind of cheat code to get to the results, which is, you know that it really takes hard work to get there, but somehow we like the story better when it just happens magically. I mean, yeah, it, it, when I think of Guillermo becoming you know, a badass vampire hunter, I was thinking more about him just getting appreciation in his role as the familiar and it took him leaving to go be a familiar for another vampire before he could uh you know spoiler alert i guess come back and <laughs> for a minor raise yeah for yeah. a minor ra- and that is what it takes and we talked about that just earlier in the podcast that's like there is no upward mobility it feels like in most uh companies it's like you got to leave and then maybe you come back to the same company at a higher uh, pay rate. What's that called? Yeah. Like kind of lateral promotions or something. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think that's that's a really good analogy, actually. Yeah. Nailed it so right I'm, on the head. I'm glad we we not we talked about all these things. That if our bosses ever watch this podcast, which I really hope doesn't ever happen, uh, will get us in trouble. But I'm glad we knocked that out as we keep going down uh let's start with the the three vampires we obviously talked more about jackie daytona than we did uh laszlo cravensworth rightfully so we also have nandor the relentless and we have uh nadja and those three starting out the show obviously uh are the the you know focal point of having vampires but guillermo steals the show uh colin robinson steals the show but those three still do amazing work. And that goes back to what I felt early on in the show where I didn't quite like it. I think it's because those three didn't click for me until about midway through season one. And then all of a sudden, uh, they all work so much better. Even Nandor, who doesn't have a lot of redeemable qualities, but he is annoying to the point that it is hilarious every single time. So let's start with Nandor. Uh, how do you feel about the character? And not just from a, do you like him? Because I don't think anybody walked away liking him. But I enjoyed the character. I enjoyed what he did on the screen. Ethan, we'll start with you. Um, I think that he does have, maybe not redeemable qualities, but like endearing moments um, where he, I mean, he's very, he's 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 relentless and he's a, a warlord, but he also has like very childlike moments um, that are, just hilarious and and human like and just like little shit like uh the fact that he knew to get his 92 year old great times 30 granddaughter a teddy bear and um the the like the moment the scene that sums up nandor the best is probably actually um when him and guillermo make up and negotiate new terms um just that scene alone gives you a good scope of Nandor and how he thinks that having one day off a year is, uh, <laughs> is, is, is a good working condition. Um, 
and that he still has all these requirements and doesn't want to give in to you know Guillermo's demands. Um, but then he also gave him a new pillow to beat off into. So, but <laughs> then he, lost he flies him away. Then he drops the pillow and he says, "I'm not going back for it." Like that is just that that is Dandor. It's like he he cares the bare minimum amount <laughs> to make somebody else happy. And apparently, that's good enough for it, Ethan. It, it's mo- it's 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 just hilarious. And uh, honestly, the problem with that scene, he let a perfectly good four legged familiar just run away who wasn't going to negotiate days off. And Sam is out of a job, and I think that's bullshit. That's fair. I think uh, the saddest part of anything that happened in this show was uh, the mistreatment of Sam the Cat. Uh, not cool, guys. Not cool. Sam the Familiar. Well, uh, so- something about Nandor to me that, uh, in a way, he seems like the most uh, immigrant of the three, in a way. Um, even though, I mean, all the, all the, be careful, choose your words carefully, Nick. What do you mean? Um, because he, he has this expertise from a bygone era and place. Uh, You're towing the line there. You're about to get canceled. Yeah, I know. I'm about to be canceled. And, and I think that that, uh, is a frustration with people when they, uh, when they move in, when uh, immigrants move into a new country, they, you know, I don't think anybody would disagree with that part. That's like, oh, you know, if you were a doctor or in his case, uh, you know, this general from a thousand years ago or, or however long, however long ago. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, he was the man. And so he still kind of has this idea that he is like, the leader of the family or the household, but he definitely isn't um, treated that way. And so I think that there is like a, a, a tragedy to that as well. That's kind of built into his character. Yeah. I, I feel like, so I'm going to put both of your guys' points together to explain why I started with uh, Nandor just having no redeemable qualities. So he starts out with that tragedy and that idea that, okay, he is no longer respected the way he believes he should be. Uh, at this case, anything mean he does to Guillermo, you almost uh, could blame on the other two vampires that he's living with that just so constantly disrespect him. It's almost like the only way Nandor feels that power he used to feel on the battlefield during the Dark Ages is when he is in control over Guillermo. The problem being that scene when he treats Guillermo that way in the moment where he had the chance to show he's either changing or at least understanding. It's not even that he's too dumb to know that he's mistreating Guillermo or still wanting that power so much he can't quite give it up. In that moment where Guillermo comes running back to him, he still treats him like utter garbage and in a way that it's, it's one thing to not understand how you're treating Guillermo. When you say I'm not going back to get your masturbation pillow, very obvious you don't really care about him. <laughs> well, I think too, and he cares about him to a limit. You know, it's it's conditioned. Right. The it's limit the is minimum. the easiest thing. No, it's like that's yeah. not. Then you don't really care at all, and that's the problem. <laughs> Wait, you can care about something a little bit. It's you're, not at all if you're not going back to get that pillow. Like that was the only thing he did nice for him in the scene. Everything else, it was saying what he needed to say to get Guillermo back. 
but in the end, having no intention at all, not even doing a little bit of caring about it. He did fly him away, and that's Guillermo's favorite thing. Yeah, and he he gave him a break, uh, like one day off or something like that. Yeah, and better snacks. That that is in a moment where he knew his life was worse without Guillermo, but he still had enough power, enough leverage that he gave him the bare minimum. That's not about caring. That's a awful boss finding a way to squeeze the most he can out of his workforce. You guys are uh, are capitalist dogs right now. That's all I'm hearing. A bunch of bootlickers that think Nandor is fine. Nandor was an awful person throughout two seasons, and I don't even know how you guys are trying to defend him right now. Okay, first of all, I'm defending an immigrant, so I think <laughs> a little bit not PC right He's now. not... Hey, you think he's just still an immigrant? He has lived here longer than he lived in his previous country. He is more of an American than you will ever be, Ethan. Quit describing him through the immigrant lens. He is an American, and now at this point, an awful American. He's a mean person. There's literally an episode episode. based around him not being an American. Yeah, that's an episode. (laughs) That's because because of the Trump administration, and you guys are pushing (laughs) awful, archaic policies. He should have passed because he knows more about the Constitution than our current president. Nandor should have been an American. I'm not counting that paperwork snafu as a reason to not count him in. You guys are awful people. See, I'm the only one who's defending Nandor. I think he should be an American. He should be American that I can then say. You just said he has person. no redeemable qualities. What do you mean you're defending him? You, we both, Nick and I, I'm defending his right to be an American and an awful one at that. Because he's an awful person? Yeah, that's, I mean, number one. If that was the okay, checklist. You know what, you actually, him... that is the most sense you've made in this entire <laughs> Okay, now, so I'll now, give you that one. now I got it. Okay. <laughs> now I get it. Now I get it. Oh, my God. I mean, maybe if he just rolled around on a Walmart scooter with a 64-ounce, you know, drink mm-hmm. and a rifle slung over his shoulder, then, you know. Well, that is going to be the, like, uh, sister episode to the Jackie Daytona. We need Nandor's version of that. I don't know what the name of it's going to be, but that's who he needs to be, just on the scooter it's a huge drink i it's, absolutely hate hate those. you you point you, you just wrote a great episode you need to get in touch with the people over at fx or fxx whichever one it's on and help them out because damn you've, you've already done half the work for him nick uh let's talk about Nadja. we we've barely talked uh, uh about this character this is another one that early on i didn't know uh, what I was supposed to think of her. I didn't think the early jokes for her were that funny. And by, you know, uh, episode three or four, probably even before I was sold on the show, I started thinking, okay, I get this character and this is a good time. Like she started to kind of, you know, find her rhythm and having, uh, you know, just her, her humor, I think worked better for me than the other ones early on. And I don't know what exactly it was. I can't put my finger on it, but I really like Nadia from the from the early going. Uh, how'd you guys feel about that character? Um, I I think that her delivery is just perfect on like every line, um, which is why she like her her uh, she has certain like deadpan moments where she just makes a statement and it's just like this like straight face after that always fucking kills me um like the just 
lines like the the like I hate this goat line or the uh, we've got ghosts and there's just, just kind of just like shit we've got ghosts it's just, it fucking cracks me up well, um, I, and then I think or, uh, and and uh, I, I think where you really see her grow is like as a character that has better storylines is like with the Gregor storyline and then also like the stupid baby vampire stuff <laughs> the baby well, vampires yeah. too stupid baby vampire <laughs> in season two i thought like a high point for her was at the super bowl party yeah um and and yeah and i you know when she has that story i don't think yeah that she's necessarily like as a character the best like you know um has like the most jokes or even necessarily the best jokes but uh, when she gets those storylines like how she used to torment that really old woman <laughs> when the old woman was a child uh, and like in that relationship, um, I thought was, I thought that was really good. Yeah. I think, and I think maybe hit on the exact thing that made her stand out. It was that, that she can do the jokes. She comes in and she has that delivery, but the storylines they told particularly where she is so infatuated with parts of the past, while still being much more aware of the present than uh, her two uh, compatriots. It's crazy how much she gets it. And she still doesn't quite get it. She still has her moments uh, of buffoonery, but she gets it more than them while also so many of her storylines, whether it's Gregor, uh, this past lover that uh, she doesn't quite remember where it goes wrong, but she keeps trying to bring it up. And then uh, I also love that once she's just done with it, you know, it's like she's already got ruined this guy's life, brought him into this, uh, awful reality that he now knows uh, and that she's also just so casual about it as uh, Laszlo <laughs> is ready to kill him <laughs> it is uh, just it, it, it's so funny how much uh, she she cares about the past and then once just like the rest of us once we realize how bad the past was we're like oh never mind all it now sucks mm-hmm. 20 years ago sucks but at least until we experience that moment until we have to see uh that it was never really as good as we thought it was you're gonna ruin that just keep the nostalgia never go chasing it never find the reality because reality will always bite yeah i think that seems to be a pretty good like theme in a lot of her story and her characterization because even uh one episode her and laszlo um together used to have a musical group <laughs> and, and, and just like you were describing they thought like oh yeah this you know this was a lot of fun we were really good why did we ever stop doing this and then over the course of the episode we kind of find out duh this is you know well i, I think that might be that episode may have my favorite single shot in the entire series is as they get on the stage for open mic night and call it robinson just turns and just smiles at the camera <laughs> if you've ever been to an open mic night I could not think of a better feast for an energy vampire. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's pretty solid. Uh, I, w- I was thinking with kind of the way they look, uh, you know, at the past and see it positively, they, they kind of have this idea that they used to be in fashion and you think about it, it's like they were probably been outdated since they've got to America. You know, they've always been on the outside and this idea, you know, I think at this point in their lives, they keep pointing to kind of the early 1900s and this idea that they work out. But I think you very quickly figure out even like the idea of capes. It's like, 
people just weren't going and wearing capes. Like they were not cool in that era that they thought they were, you know, out and about more often. And it's very clear that they've just constantly had those reality checks. This is why they don't leave the house as much as they do. It's not because they're from Staten Island and looked down upon by everybody that's in Manhattan or wherever else. It's that when they go to a place uh, like the nightclub, uh, I forget the name of Nick Kroll's uh, something, the devious, uh, God, my brain's not figuring it out right now. But whatever his character is, when they meet him in the club and you see how much he's adapted to even the nightlife scene now, and you see that it's not a vampire thing to be stuck in the past, it's these three people. They have that problem, and they can't quite get past it. Yeah, I would hope that in future episodes, if it'd be possible to yeah, get a lot more of that background to think like kind of what caused this, like how did they come together? Cause I, I don't quite know, we don't quite know that. And then well, what caused them to stagnate? You can do a whole season on just dropping them in a different part of their lives. I mean, the only thing you lose is uh, Guillermo, uh, but otherwise there's a lot of stuff you could, uh, you know, dig into in terms of mm-hmm. going through their history and just kind of how they thought they uh, adapted well, but really didn't to uh, a, a lot of different important times in history. Uh, I think that that's the reason I've liked this show uh, more than I thought I would and am excited for what they'll do in the future because I don't think they've run out of content. And, and when I first looked at it, I didn't think this thing would have much uh, run to it. But in seeing what they've crafted and kind of seeing these characters, I definitely think uh, there's a lot of different ways to go with it. Let's go, uh, you know, I brought up Nick Kroll coming in. Let's let's do the cameo list. This will just become my cheap way of pretending we have categories for the show and structure. <laughs> is uh, Let's go down the list. Who is the best cameo in what we do in the shadows? And we don't have to keep it to the season two. We can do uh, the whole series up to this point. But uh, what's the one that stood out to you the most? Uh, Ethan looks like he's thinking. We'll jump to Nick. Well, uh, the trial episode was just a slew of cameos uh, and being like, oh, they got that person. Oh, it, you know, look, it's, you know, Tilda, Tilda uh, Swinton and um, Wesley Snipes and the original <laughs> guys, you know, from the uh, movie. And I thought Paul like, Rubens. Hmm? I said and Paul Rubens. I mean, like, yeah, that, oh, that, yeah. that episode alone has half the cameos. Yeah. I also said pick one. You don't get to pick the whole, like, tribunal I al- there. I also picked the trial episode. It's, a, it's an episode. That's not even a person. Well, I mean, right. we, I, we, we talked previously <laughs> I think, about... Um, I think you could even Mark say... Hamill. what's yeah, Is that Mark your best Hamill's, cameo? Mark Hamill's probably my, my best cameo. All right. Um, mm-hmm. But it, you could almost even have a sub-fake category of who's the best cameo in the trial episode, which is, I'm going to say Wesley Snipes. Just the, the, the slow internet connection with Wesley Snipes fucking kills me. Yeah, that, that was really good. Um, no, and I, I, mean, I also, shout out to Haley Joe Osment. I love when that mm-hmm. guy shows up. You know, it's like, good, good for him. He's an actor. Uh, I already felt that way when he showed up in one of the 2K games. I don't remember which one. I think it was uh, 19, maybe. Uh, he was part of the My Career mode. And he was like uh, the player uh, that that you have. The story is he 
doesn't get drafted very high, so he has to go and play for one of the D-League teams, or now it's called the G-League, and there's a guy who works at, like, a diner who's good with social media, and he becomes your social media manager. It's Haley Joel Osmond, you know, he got the <laughs> animation on him, but uh, then he, he stabs you in the back, that little bastard. Sorry to, uh, spoiler, the, if you guys are planning on playing 2K19. I was going to go play that now that you I did tell you to go play that one. I did tell you that was the last one. I'm still gonna play it. That sounds excellent. Right. It's pretty good. Uh, yeah, no, it is. It's always good to see Haley Joel Osment pop up, and uh, he was also in the Boys. That was a good uh, use of Haley Joel Osment. Just of that. Did you say the high me. point? It was Haley Joel. A Joel's. high point. Was a high point. Of I feel that like show. you're underselling the Boys. Is the problem here? I mean, isn't that another episode? Another episode of what? Or. Another podcast episode. If I'm going to just, I'm I'm just going to really lean into the boys. We already did one on it, so you, you're late yeah. to the party. Maybe you could be there for okay. season two. There and you are, can, uh, say some dumb shit about it. It was a great good. series. I enjoyed it. Too many cool. jokes available for uh, the phrase "lean into the boys," so I'm just going to let that one hang. <laughs> I stand by it. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm worried about you, Ethan. There was, I mean, of all the dumb uh, things Nick said that you could jump into, it's like that. That was a reach there. It's just reach around there. It's it's not a reach exactly. See, it's fun. It's fun wordplay, you know. And uh, you know, for whatever percentage of people don't appreciate that, maybe it's five percent similar to the alcohol content in this truly lemonade. (laughs) Um, I told you I'd get it in there. Um, you know, all right. So critics as uh. As neither of you uh, would, or I guess Ethan did pick his uh, Mark Hamill as the, the, the cameo, Mark and, Hamill. And, and Nick just uh, cheated the system. Uh, I think, <laughs> I'm not even going to count Nick Kroll as a cameo. I think his is a full character. The fact that it shows back up in another season in a way that he gets full episodes, uh, it becomes less of a cameo at some point, I think. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I I would probably go with Wesley Snipes just because the the joke is uh, more important than even just the cameo. Like, you get that kind of basic, like, okay, he's Blade, so it's a vampire thing. But then, yeah, the the slow internet connection was just so good. Kind of stands on its own as being the the best cameo there. Uh, I did, I love, everything's wrestling, though. So, shouts out to Dave Batista. Dave Batista. Getting yeah. all in makeup, just look. He looked great, and he, he a killer great. performance. He's getting <laughs> yeah, better yeah. each year. Uh, yeah, I feel bad I, that he got that uh, role in um, Blade Runner, the 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 uh, movie they made with uh, Ryan Gosling. I forget what the actual name of that one is. Yeah, twenty forty nine. Yeah, so he's in that, and it was he. He doesn't. He's not quite good at acting yet, and he got this awesome role that could have been huge, and he did fine. He didn't like shit the bet on it. But uh, now seeing Dave Bautista kind of really get it. He's figured out his voice and acting. He's, he's going to have that rock kind of idea <laughs> where it's like you're not trying to play something different. You're a yeah. big guy that if you be yourself, you are a big enough personality to uh, help any production that they bring you in on. So I'm excited for his future. He's starting I, to figure I, it out a bit. I agree. I think his, his acting career will be somewhere maybe on the I, – I could say – somewhere maybe even between John Cena and The Rock. Um, I could see him outshining Cena in Hollywood, but uh, it's not for John, John Cena. John Cena is another one that kind of gets better in the movies he's in. But, but yeah, but uh, Batista in this, and it's when they think they're at the council and they're just like prisoners. 
Um, <laughs> he's like, they said that I turned a baby into a vampire and left it in the Bronx. <laughs> this is like that. <laughs> I had to pause. I had to pause. I was laughing so hard. I would never do anything like that. <laughs> yeah, it was so good. Uh, yeah, I, I, Dave Batista. That's a solid two. I'm gonna go Wesley Snipes, Dave Batista. Uh, that's the yeah. that's the order for it. Uh, in terms of best episode, I mean, I know Ethan's just going to say Jackie Daytona, so we don't even really need to ask him. But I will I'll let him tell up. me. I will let him tell me why afterwards. But Nick, uh, what's, what's the Colin's best episode? promotion? Colin's promotion, definitely. I think it's up there. I think that's definitely uh, pretty high on my list. Uh, I'm trying to look and make sure uh, I have this right. I'm uh, trying to think when they do the troll episode because it's not all based on Colin Robinson. Let me see here. Yeah, so that is when uh, Simon the Devious comes back again. So I'm probably going with the return. I'm, I just there was something about that uh, social media trolling that definitely uh, worked great for me, and uh, I did enjoy uh, Nick Kroll's performance coming in. Uh, that was fun to see him as this kind of torn down vampire. These three have ruined his life, and he's not even quite fully aware uh, how much it's them. Uh, that that long running feud was uh, pretty great. It was good to 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 see him in that that role i hope they find another great way to bring him back in season three because i enjoyed his uh performance so far yeah i, I would count on it I, he is i think a reoccurring character now yeah no longer cameo all right so good stuff for the first couple seasons going into season three we talked about they have a lot of uh runway left a lot of uh directions they can go with this what do you guys want to see from the show going forward? Ethan, we'll start with you. Um, you know, I want to say I want to see more Jackie Daytona, but I, I don't want to cheapen it. <laughs> um, you know, we had what we had, and it's a good memory for me. Um, I mean, I think I want to see the where the reveal of Guillermo being a Van Helsing goes um, as far as if whether or not it's embraced by your – you know, main vampire trio, or if it is um, something where those storylines get completely split. I, I kind of, uh, that, that's what I'm most curious about. And that seems to be, you know, the underlying, if there's one main thread that kind of ties the series together, because each episode is just so different from the last, um, while remaining within the same universe and same storyline. I think that's the common thread. And I, I like how they've, not overly focused on it it's just a constant uh underlying theme of the show that is that pops up kind of in each episode in its own way um and continuing that but maybe adding a little bit more focus on it all right nick what do you want to see from season three um i mean i always like it when um shows get strange and are willing to take risks as they kind of get further along. And, uh, and I don't quite know what that looks like, especially given the format of this mockumentary style uh, forces their hand a little bit more. So like the office didn't get as strange and didn't have as many um, out there episodes to say like always sunny, which in that nature, it's like all of a sudden they could just do an episode set in revolutionary times and stuff like that. Um, and so I think I just, no predictions, but just curious and excited. All right. Awesome. Uh, any other uh, takeaways from the show? Anything you want to discuss before we finish on up? 
Um, just, just do yourself a favor and watch everything that Taika Waititi makes. That's that's my my recommendation for anyone who enjoys anything, uh, you know, comedy based. Yeah, that's he, fair. I'm a big fan of all of his work. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been awesome. uh, really good so far. I, I remember when. Uh, Thor Ragnarok came out and I felt like it was just another one of the kind of uh, Marvel fanboys trying to talk up a, a, a new film and just be like, oh, but this one's really good. This one's like really, really. I'm like, I'm already sold. Like I'm not running around saying Marvel doesn't make good movies or I'm not watching it. Like I just also don't need you to like pretend that this movie uh, is becoming this Oscar level film for no reason. Uh, in terms of that sort of high acclaim for uh, Ragnarok and talking about it being that much uh, funnier than some of uh, the other films that were coming out for Marvel at that time, it really did kind of take it to that next level. And uh, he definitely had a big impact in directing it uh, to, to have that style of comedy with some of the characters we were already familiar with. And without a doubt, like I couldn't believe I enjoyed it as much as everybody told me I would enjoy that film and everything I've seen him make since then. Uh, he, he, that's a brand of comedy that shows through really, really well. There's probably some overlap with the character of Thor uh, and the vampires in this, where you think mm-hmm. of like somebody who is kind of out of their element, but has powers beyond, you know, the regular people that they're even among. And so, and there's this, there's some kind of like so, culture clash going on as well. I thought you were yeah. pitching a cameo, but uh, either way, those, those sounds great. Kind of like Taika Waititi living in America and crushing it. Yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah. So I, would I don't say, know if he actually. I don't know if he actually lives here. I don't know where he lives. I don't know where he <laughs> resides. I haven't asked him. <laughs> well, well, get on that. Get back to us and let us know. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll just text. I'll text Taika. We're on first name basis. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I think that's uh, it. Oh, uh, final one as uh, we finish up. So, uh, which character needs more time uh, than they've been getting through the first two seasons? Which character do you want to get a little bit more shine in season three? Nick, we'll start with you. Um, uh, I, I yeah. like the balances right now. I do think Naja has more maybe the most potential to go in different places. And so I think I would just kind of want to see more shades of her character. Okay. Ethan, what do you got? Um, yeah, like you said, I mean, the balance is really good as far as, I mean, I could always use more Sam, but uh, <laughs> I think that uh, I want to see, I mean, Laszlo does have his own episode of the, the Jackie Daytona episode really is highly focused on him. Um, but I think that you could see maybe more of his, uh, background. I want to see more of the origin story of, of that character. Fair enough. Uh, I'm going to go with Wesley Snipes. Uh, I want to see a whole episode where he's actually in the blade outfit and, uh, going up against Guillermo. I'm going to blow your mind, but there is three movies about Wesley Snipes being a vampire. What? (laughs) That's crazy. So you should definitely check those out. What what are they called? uh, I forget. Something like Blade Runner. It's like, I think it's called Runner. 
Huh, okay. I'll look it up. Uh, that's it. That's uh, that's all we have for this episode of the Q Crew. As I already mentioned, uh, we'll be back. Not necessarily uh, these two. Nick is a cheapskate who uh, is not willing to pay the money it takes to watch King of Staten Island. But we'll be back with that content next week. And uh, we're going to keep making these. We're going to keep watching uh, a, a lot of different shows. And also, uh, I'm planning in the near future to uh, start up uh, a, a sports-based podcast called Too Many Points. And uh, honestly, uh, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be 50% hot takes and 50% sports gambling. Uh, just had to wait till some uh, actual real sports started back up. And because we live in a crazy society, uh, it looks like it's going to happen uh, pretty soon now. Uh, at the very least, NBA. And uh, I am excited for that. I'm always excited for NBA. Game it's going to be a Disney World. Everybody should, be wa- everybody should have watched the last season of Game of Zones. Ah, Lol. see, I got, I got to catch up. Uh, maybe that's the next podcast. Maybe we'll talk about it. But uh, keep uh, look out for that. Obviously, we have the wrestling content, which Ethan's on there all the time. So keep checking it out. We're going to keep uploading to SoundCloud and YouTube. But that's it. That's all we have for this episode of the Q Crew on the Tell Me More podcast. Later, folks. <laughs>